0: Section eleven of Idols of the King. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Elizabeth Clett. Idols of the King by Alfred Lord Tennyson. Section eleven. Lancelot and Elaine. Part two. Then rose Elaine and glided through the fields and passed beneath the weirdly sculptured gates far up the dim rich city to her kin. There bowed the night, but woke with dawn, and passed down through the dim rich city to the fields, thence to the cave, so day by day she passed in either twilight ghost-like to and fro gliding, and every day she tended him, and likewise many a night. And Lancelot would, though he called his wound a little hurt whereof he should be quickly whole, At times brain feverous in his heat and agony, Seem uncourteous, even he. But the meek maid sweetly forbore him ever, Being to him meeker than any child to a rough nurse, Milder than any mother to a sick child, And never woman yet, since man's first fall, Did kindlier unto man, But her deep love upbore her till the hermit, skilled in all the simples and the science of that time, told him that her fine care had saved his life. And the sick man forgot her simple blush, would call her friend and sister, sweet Elaine, would listen for her coming and regret her parting step, and held her tenderly, and loved her with all love except the love of man and woman when they love their best closest and sweetest, and had died the death in any knightly fashion for her sake. And peradventure, had he seen her first, she might have made this and that other world another world for the sick man. But now the shackles of an old love straitened him, his honour rooted in dishonour stood, and faith unfaithful kept him falsely true. Yet the great knight in his mid-sickness made full many a holy vow and pure resolve, These, as but born of sickness, could not live. For when the blood ran lustier in him again, full often the bright image of one face, making a treacherous quiet in his heart, dispersed his resolution like a cloud. Then if the maiden, while that ghostly grace beamed on his fancy, spoke, he answered not, or short and coldly, and she knew right well what the rough sickness meant but what this meant she knew not and the sorrow dimmed her sight and drave her ere her time across the fields far into the rich city where alone she murmured vain in vain it cannot be he will not love me how then must i die then as a little helpless innocent bird that has but one plain passage of few notes will sing the simple passage o'er and o'er for all in April morning, till the ear wearies to hear it. So the simple maid went half the night repeating, Must I die? And now to right she turned, and now to left, and found no ease in turning or in rest, and, Him or death, she muttered, Death or him? Again and like a burden, Him or death? But when Sir Lancelot's deadly hurt was whole, to Astolat returning rode the three. There morn by morn, arraying her sweet self in that wherein she deemed she looked her best, she came before Sir Lancelot, for she thought, If I be loved, these are my festal robes, if not the victim's flowers before he fall. And Lancelot ever pressed upon the maid that she should ask some goodly gift of him for her own self or hers and do not shun to speak the wish most near to your true heart, such service have ye done me that I make my will of yours, and Prince and Lord am I in my own land, and what I will I can." Then like a ghost she lifted up her face, but like a ghost without the power to speak, and Lancelot saw that she withheld her wish, and bowed among them yet a little space till he should learn it. And one morn it chanced he found her in among the garden yews, and said, "'Delay no longer. Speak your wish, seeing I go to-day.' Then out she brake, "'Going, and we shall never see you more. And I must die for want of one bold word. "'Speak, that I live to hear,' he said, "'is yours.' Then suddenly and passionately she spoke, "'I have gone mad. I love you.' let me die.' "'Ah, sister,' answered Lancelot, "'what is this?' and innocently extending her white arms. "'Your love,' she said, "'your love, to be your wife.' And Lancelot answered, "'Had I chosen to wed I had been wedded earlier, sweet Elaine. But now there never will be wife of mine.' No, no, she cried, I care not to be wife, but to be with you still, to see your face, to serve you and to follow you through the world. And Lancelot answered, Nay, the world, the world, all ear and eye, with such a stupid heart to interpret ear and eye, and such a tongue to blare its own interpretation. Nay, full ill, then, should I quit your brother's love and your good father's kindness. And she said, Not to be with you, not to see your face. Alas, for me, then, my good days are done. Nay, noble maid, he answered, ten times nay. This is not love, but love's first flash in youth, most common. Yea, I know it of mine own self. And you yourself will smile at your own self hereafter, when you yield your flower of life to one more fitly yours, not thrice your age. And then will I— For true you are, and sweet, beyond mine old belief in womanhood, more specially should your good knight be poor, endow you with broad land and territory even to the half my realm beyond the seas, so that would make you happy. Furthermore, even to the death, as though you were my blood, in all your quarrels will I be your knight. This I will do, dear damsel, for your sake, and more than this I cannot." While he spoke, She neither blushed nor shook, but deathly pale stood grasping what was nearest, then replied, Of all this will I nothing. And so fell, and thus they bore her swooning to her tower. Then spake, to whom through those black walls of yew their talk had pierced her father. Ay, a flash, I fear me, that will strike my blossom dead. Too courteous are ye, fair Lord Lancelot. I pray you use some rough discourtesy to blunt or break her passion." Lancelot said, That were against me, what I can, I will. And there that day remained, and toward Even sent for his shield, full meekly rose the maid, stripped off the case and gave the naked shield. Then when she heard his horse upon the stones, unclasping flung the casement back, and looked down on his helm, from which her sleeve had gone and Lancelot knew the little clinking sound, and she by tact of love was well aware that Lancelot knew that she was looking at him. And yet he glanced not up, nor waved his hand, nor bade farewell, but sadly rode away. This was the one discourtesy that he used. So in her tower alone the maiden sat. His very shield was gone. Only the case, her own poor work, her empty labour, left. But still she heard him, still his picture formed and grew between her and the pictured wall. Then came her father, saying in low tones, Have comfort, whom she greeted quietly. Then came her brethren, saying, Peace to thee, sweet sister, whom she answered with all calm. But when they left her to herself again, death, like a friend's voice from a distant field approaching through the darkness, called. The owl's wailing had power upon her, and she mixed her fancies with the sallow-rifted glooms of evening and the moanings of the wind. And in those days she made a little song, and called her song, the song of love and death, and sang it, sweetly could she make and sing. Sweet is true love, though given in vain, in vain, and sweet is death who puts an end to pain. I know not which is sweeter, no, not I. Love, art thou sweet? Then bitter death must be. Love, thou art bitter. Sweet is death to me. O love, if death be sweeter, let me die. Sweet love that seems not made to fade away. Sweet death that seems to make us loveless clay. I know not which is sweeter. No, not I. I fain would follow love, if that could be. I needs must follow death, who calls for me. Call and I follow, I follow, let me die. High with the last line scaled her voice, And this, all in a fiery dawning, Wild with wind that shook her tower, The brothers heard, and thought with shuddering. Hark the phantom of the house That ever shrieks before a death! And called the father, And all three in hurry and fear ran to her, And lo, the blood-red light of dawn Flared on her face, she shrilling, Let me die." As when we dwell upon a word we know, repeating, till the word we know so well becomes a wonder and we know not why, so dwelt the father on her face and thought, Is this Elaine? Till back the maiden fell, then gave a languid hand to each, and lay, speaking a still good morrow with her eyes. At last she said, Sweet brothers, yesternight I seemed a curious little maid again as happy as when we dwelt among the woods, and when ye used to take me with the flood up the great river in the boatman's boat, only ye would not pass beyond the cape that has the poplar on it. There ye fixed your limit, oft returning with the tide. And yet I cried because ye would not pass beyond it, and far up the shining flood until we found the palace of the King. And yet ye would not but this night I dreamed that I was all alone upon the flood, and then I said, Now I shall have my will. And there I woke, but still the wish remained. So let me hence that I may pass at last beyond the poplar and far up the flood until I find the palace of the King. There will I enter in among them all, and no man there will dare to mock at me, but there the fine Gawain will wonder at me and there the great Sir Lancelot muse at me—Gawain, who bade a thousand farewells to me—Lancelot, who coldly went, nor bade me one—and there the King will know me and my love, and there the Queen herself will pity me, and all the gentle court will welcome me, and after my long voyage I shall rest." "'Peace!' said her father. "'O my child, ye seem light-headed. For what force is yours to go so far, being sick? And wherefore would ye look on this proud fellow again, who scorns us all?" Then the rough Torre began to heave and move, and bluster into stormy sobs, and say, I never loved him, and I meet with him I care not howsoever great he be, then will I strike at him and strike him down. Give me good fortune I shall strike him dead, for this discomfort he hath done the house. To whom the gentle sister made reply, Fret not yourself, dear brother, nor be wroth, seeing it is no more Sir Lancelot's fault not to love me than it is mine to love him of all men who seems to me the highest. "'Highest!' the father answered, echoing, "'Highest!' he meant to break the passion in her. "'Nay, daughter, I know not what you call the highest. But this I know, for all the people know it. He loves the Queen, and in an open shame. And she returns his love in open shame.' If this be high, what is it to be low?" Then spake the lily-maid of Astolat, Sweet father, all too faint and sick am I for anger. These are slanders. Never yet was noble man but made ignoble talk. He makes no friend who never made a foe. But now it is my glory to have loved one peerless, without stain. So let me pass, my father, howsoe'er I seem to you, not all unhappy having loved God's best and greatest, though my love had no return. Yet seeing you desire your child to live, thanks, but you work against your own desire. For if I could believe the things you say, I should but die the sooner. Wherefore cease, sweet father, and bid call the ghostly man hither, and let me shrive me clean, and die. And when the ghostly man had come and gone, She, with a face bright as for sin forgiven, besought Lavaine to write as she devised, a letter, word for word, and when he asked, Is it for Lancelot? Is it for my dear lord? Then I will bear it gladly. She replied, For Lancelot and the Queen and all the world, but I myself must bear it. Then he wrote the letter she devised, which being writ and folded, O sweet father, tender and true. Deny me not," she said. Ye never yet denied my fancies. This, however strange, my latest. Lay the letter in my hand a little ere I die, and close the hand upon it. I shall guard it even in death. And when the heat is gone from out my heart, then take the little bed on which I died for Lancelot's love, and deck it like the Queen's for richness, and me also like the Queen in all I have of rich, and lay me on it. And let there be prepared a chariot-bier to take me to the river, and a barge be ready on the river clothed in black. I go in state to court, to meet the queen. There surely I shall speak for mine own self, and none of you can speak for me so well. And therefore let our dumb old man alone go with me. He can steer and row, and he will guide me to that palace, to the doors." She ceased. Her father promised, whereupon she grew so cheerful that they deemed her death was rather in the fantasy than the blood. But ten slow mornings passed, and on the eleventh her father laid the letter in her hand and closed the hand upon it, and she died. So that day there was dole in Astolat. But when the next sun brake from underground then, those two brethren, slowly, with bent brows accompanying the sad chariot bier passed like a shadow through the field that shone full summer to that stream whereon the barge palled all its length in blackest semite, lay there sat the lifelong creature of the house, loyal, the dumb old servitor on deck, winking his eyes and twisted all his face, so those two brethren from the chariot took and on the black decks laid her in her bed set in her hand a lily o'er her hung the silken case with braided blazonings and kissed her quiet brows and saying to her sister farewell for ever and again farewell sweet sister parted all in tears then rose the dumb old servitor and the dead oared by the dumb went upward with the flood in her right hand the lily in her left the letter all her bright hair streaming down, and all the coverlid was cloth of gold drawn to her waist, and she herself in white all but her face, and that clear-featured face was lovely, for she did not seem as dead, but fast asleep, and lay as though she smiled. That day Sir Lancelot at the palace craved audience of Guinevere, to give at last the price of half a realm his costly gift, hard won and hardly won with bruise and blow, With deaths of others and almost his own, the nine years fought for diamonds, for he saw one of her house and sent him to the queen bearing his wish, whereto the queen agreed with such and so unmoved a majesty she might have seemed her statue, but that he, low drooping till he well-nigh kissed her feet for loyal awe, saw with a sidelong eye the shadow of some piece of pointed lace in the queen's shadow, vibrate on the walls, and parted, laughing in his courtly heart. All in an oriel on the summer side, vine-clad of Arthur's palace toward the stream, they met, and Lancelot kneeling uttered, "Queen, lady, my liege, in whom I have my joy, take what I had not won except for you, these jewels, and make me happy, making them an armlet for the roundest arm on earth, or necklace for a neck to which the swan's is tawnier than her signets." These are words. Your beauty is your beauty and I sin in speaking. Yet, O grant my worship of it words, as we grant grief tears. Such sin in words perchance we both can pardon. But, my queen, I hear of rumours flying through your court. Our bond, as not the bond of man and wife, should have in it an absoluter trust to make up that defect. Let rumours be, when did not rumours fly? These, as I trust that you trust me in your own nobleness, I may not well believe that you believe." While thus he spoke, half turned away, the queen brake from the vast oriel embowering vine leaf after leaf, and tore and cast them off, till all the place whereon she stood was green. Then when he ceased, in one cold passive hand received at once and laid aside the gems, there on a table near her, and replied, It may be I am quicker of belief than you believe me, Lancelot of the Lake. Our bond is not the bond of man and wife. This good is in it, whatsoe'er of ill. It can be broken easier. I, for you, this many a year have done despite and wrong to one whom ever in my heart of hearts I did acknowledge nobler. What are these? Diamonds for me. They had been thrice their worth being your gift, had you not lost your own. To loyal hearts the value of all gifts must vary as the giver's. Not for me. For her. For your new fancy. Only this grant me, I pray you. Have your joys apart. I doubt not that, however changed, you keep so much of what is graceful. And myself would shun to break those bounds of courtesy in which, as Arthur's queen, I move and rule. So cannot speak my mind. An end to this. A strange one. Yet I take it with Amen. So pray you add my diamonds to her pearls. Deck her with these. Tell her, she shines me down. An armlet for an arm to which the Queen's is haggard, Or a necklace for a neck, oh, as much fairer. As a faith once fair was richer than these diamonds. Hers, not mine. Nay, by the mother of our Lord himself, or hers or mine, Mine now to work my will, she shall not have them saying which she seized and through the casement standing wide for heat flung them and down they flashed and smote the stream then from the smitten surface flashed as it were diamonds to meet them and they passed away then while sir lancelot leant in half disdain at love life all things on the window ledge close underneath his eyes and right across where these had fallen slowly passed the barge Whereon the lily maid of Astolat lay smiling, like a star in blackest night. But the wild queen, who saw not, burst away to weep and wail in secret, and the barge, on to the palace doorway sliding, paused. There two stood armed and kept the door, to whom all up the marble stair, tier over tier, were added mouths that gaped, and eyes that asked, What is it? But that oarman's haggard face, as hard and still as is the face that men shaped to their fancy's eye from broken rocks on some cliffside, appalled them. And they said, He is enchanted—cannot speak. And she—look how she sleeps—the Fairy Queen, so fair! Yea, but how pale! What are they—flesh and blood? Or come to take the King to Fairyland? for some do hold our Arthur cannot die, but that he passes into fairyland." While thus they babbled of the king, the king came girt with knights, then turned the tongueless man from the half-face to the full eye, and rose and pointed to the damsel and the doors. So Arthur bade the meek Sir Percival and pure Sir Galahad to uplift the maid, and reverently they bore her into hall. Then came the fine Gawain, and wondered at her and Lancelot later came and mused at her, and last the queen herself, and pitied her. But Arthur spied the letter in her hand, stooped, took, break seal, and read it. This was all. Most noble lord, Sir Lancelot of the lake, I sometime called the maid of Astolat, come, for you left me taking no farewell, hither, to take my last farewell of you. I loved you, and my love had no return, and therefore my true love has been my death, and therefore to Our Lady Guinevere and to all other ladies I make moan. Pray for my soul, and yield me burial. Pray for my soul thou too, Sir Lancelot, as thou art a knight peerless. Thus he read, and ever in the reading lords and dames wept, looking often from his face who read, to hers which lay so silent and at times so touched were they, half thinking that her lips, who had devised the letter, moved again. Then freely spoke Sir Lancelot to them all. My lord, liege, Arthur, and all ye that hear, know that for this most gentle maiden's death right heavy am I, for good she was and true, but loved me with a love beyond all love in women, whomsoever I have known. Yet to be loved makes naught to love again, not at my years, however it hold in youth. I swear by truth and knighthood that I gave no cause, not willingly, for such a love. To this I call my friends in testimony, her brethren and her father, who himself besought me to be plain and blunt, and used to break her passion some discourtesy against my nature. What I could I did. I left her and I bade her no farewell." Though had I dreamt the damsel would have died, I might have put my wits to some rough use and helped her from herself. Then, said the queen, see was her wrath, yet working after storm. He might at least have done her so much grace, fair lord, as would have helped her from her death. He raised his head, their eyes met, and hers fell, he adding, Queen, she would not be content save that I wedded her, which could not be. "'Then might she follow me through the world?' she asked. "'It could not be. "'I told her that her love was but the flash of youth, "'would darken down to rise hereafter in a stiller flame, "'toward one more worthy of her. "'Then would I, more specially were he she wedded poor, estate them with large land and territory "'in mine own realm beyond the narrow seas, "'to keep them in all joyance. "'More than this I could not. "'This she would not.' and she died he pausing arthur answered o my knight it will be to thy worship as my knight and mine as head of all our table round to see that she be buried worshipfully so toward that shrine which then in all the realm was richest arthur leading slowly went the marshalled order of their table round and lancelot sad beyond his wont to see the maiden buried not as one unknown nor meanly, but with gorgeous obsequies, and mass and rolling music like a queen. And when the knights had laid her comely head low in the dust of half-forgotten kings, then Arthur spake among them. Let her tomb be costly, and her image thereupon, and let the shield of Lancelot at her feet be carven, and her lily in her hand, and let the story of her dolorous voyage for all true hearts be blazoned on her tomb in letters gold and azure which was wrought thereafter. But when now the lords and dames and people, from the high door streaming, break disorderly, as homeward each the queen who marked Sir Lancelot where he moved apart, drew near and sighed in passing, Lancelot, forgive me, mine was jealousy in love. He answered with his eyes upon the ground, That is love's curse. Pass on, my queen, forgiven. But Arthur, who beheld his cloudy brows, approached him, and with full affection said, "'Lancelot, my Lancelot, thou in whom I have most joy and most affiance, for I know what thou hast been in battle at my side, and many a time have watched thee at the tilt strike down the lusty and long-practised knight, and let the younger and unskilled go by to win his honour and to make his name, and loved thy courtesies and thee, a man made to be loved, But now I would to God, seeing the homeless trouble in thine eyes, thou couldst have loved this maiden, shaped, it seems, by God for thee alone, and from her face, if one may judge the living by the dead, delicately pure and marvellously fair, who might have brought thee, now a lonely man, wifeless and heirless, noble issue, sons born to the glory of thy name and fame, my knight, the great Sir Lancelot of the lake then answered lancelot fair she was my king pure as you ever wish your knights to be to doubt her fairness were to want an eye to doubt her pureness were to want a heart yea to be loved if what is worthy love could bind him but free love will not be bound free love so bound were freest said the king let love be free free love is for the best and after heaven on our dull side of death, what should be best if not so pure a love clothed in so pure a loveliness? Yet thee she failed to bind, though being as I think unbound as yet, and gentle as I know. And Lancelot answered nothing, but he went, and at the inrunning of a little brook sat by the river in a cove, and watched the high reed wave, and lifted up his eyes and saw the barge that brought her moving down, far off, A blot upon the stream, and said low in himself, Ah, simple heart and sweet, ye loved me, damsel, Surely with a love far tenderer than my queen's. Pray for thy soul. Ay, that I will. Farewell, too. Now at last, farewell, fair Lily. Jealousy in love. Not rather, dead love's harsh air, jealous pride queen if i grant the jealousy as of love may not your crescent fear for name and fame speak as it waxes of a love that wanes why did the king dwell on my name to me mine own name shames me seeming a reproach lancelot whom the lady of the lake caught from his mother's arms the wondrous one who passes through the vision of the night She chanted snatches of mysterious hymns Heard on the winding waters. Eve and morn she kissed me, saying, Thou art fair, my child, as a king's son. And often in her arms she bare me, Pacing on the dusky mere. Would she had drowned me in it, Where'er it be! For what am I? What profits me my name of greatest knight? I fought for it and have it. Pleasure to have it, none, To lose it, pain, now grown a part of me. But what use in it? To make men worse by making my sin known? Or sin seem less, the sinner seeming great? Alas, for Arthur's greatest knight! A man not after Arthur's heart! I needs must break these bonds that so defame me. Not without she wills it. Would I, if she willed it? Nay, who knows? But if I would not, then may God, I pray him, send a sudden angel down to seize me by the hair and bear me far and fling me deep in that forgotten mere among the tumbled fragments of the hills. So groaned Sir Lancelot in remorseful pain, not knowing he should die a holy man. End of section 11.